Welcome everybody to Current Events with Max and Coborn. My name is Max Cohen. I will be one of your hosts for the Current Events podcast today and joining me as he does for every Current Events podcast, the man, the myth, the legend, the founder of the Museum of Crypto Art, Coborn Bell. Coborn, good to have you here. How are you today? What's up, Max? Everything is well. It's always great to be here. Yeah. you? I'm lovely, man. Um, thanks for asking. It's a beautiful day, start of a new week, ready to... Uh, kick it and talk about some of the stuff it's been a busy weekend and i mean not just crypto art but crypto as a whole as i'm sure you and everyone listening is somewhat aware of uh if this is your first current events podcast uh just a little bit about what this is we're going to talk about kind of some stuff that caught our attention from the last week or so in crypto crypto art the nft world just kind of wherever um we do not prepare we do not provide each other with our topics. So everything you're about to hear is kind of off the dome, knee-jerk reactions. So let's just jump right in. Colborn, my first current event is probably the biggest news of the last week or so. I don't know. Maybe it's the biggest news of the last I wonder if I've heard it. or so. Uh, I bet you've heard it. Uh, Bitcoin reached $40,000 for the first time oh, in we're back. quite a long time. Yeah. And well, that's kind of what I wanted to talk about. There is this kind of I don't know. The the war back sentiment seems like it's I don't know, solidifying into something that might be true. So I'm just curious like this is a big moment. Um something a lot of people have been waiting for like real institutionalized good news um that seems to point to the fact that maybe this whole market is returning and we are at least first steps out of the bear. I know you were a bit incredulous about that in the past, but with Bitcoin hitting $40,000 and you know all the kind of price increases in crypto at large seeming to hold over the last couple of weeks. I'm curious where your head is at, where you think we are and where you think we might be going. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm staying incredulous. I don't think anybody has particularly uh, done the work needed to bridge. You know, I think one day down the line, a lot of these people are going to, I think a good example is, is it Gordon Goner who's been, going and buying random PFP projects. Yeah, that's the the board ape guy, right? The board ape guy who stepped away and has been, you know, just kind of buying random PFPs to much hype and everybody's shilling him. I kind of think that might be a bit of, you know, an example of what could happen down line is that, you know, these project founders, they they still they got addicted to the online attention. And, you know, they may or may not be associated with their project. It's probably outgrown them. They've probably banked tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. And then they kind of want to play social games. I, I think that is sadly what grew out of this is, is an uneven playing field where, you know, people are shilling, pitching their projects to whoever wants the spotlight shined on them in the moment. Well, I want to return to the, the PFP thing in a bit, because I think that it kind of spirals outwards naturally from the um, cryptocurrency conversation, but just as it, re as it so, relates to, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I can just bring it back top and say like, yeah, Bitcoin is going up. We know Bitcoin is going up. We know Bitcoin is going to lead. Ethereum is going to be there. Um, how that, 
you know, relates to follow on arts and culture. I don't know, but it, it was Bitcoin at this point relative to crypto degen as it becomes institutionalized, as it moves into the mainstream is going to be too slow. We only saw people move into NFT and the art particularly as a massively speculative asset after DeFi summer in which tremendous amounts of wealth were created relatively quickly, much quicker than uh, Bitcoin going up or Ethereum going up. We're talking, you know, tens of thousands of percents in a matter of months. This is so the summer I, of 2021. Yes, this not is the summer of 2021. Exactly. DeFi summer um, where that capital, you know, fast money bleeds fast, right? And it goes different places and people by and large, they want to keep it in the ecosystem. So they're looking for the hot new thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is not what we're experiencing right now. So uh, my my answer is 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 no, we're not. <laughs> there, I, I guess it just seems like obviously it's there's a psychological component to this, which is after a long time of receiving very little good news, or kind of collectively, right over the last year and a half, whenever kind of the bear market started for you specifically not you specifically but whoever specifically when there was any kind of price action or any kind of like momentary euphoria it was just crushed so quickly now we're seeing kind of an attitude that is evolving based on some kind of sustained relevance or sustained kind of the sustained appearance of growth i'm curious as well like the cycle of how this plays out based on my experience in 2021 and based on what I've heard in the past is something along the lines of cryptocurrency at large goes up. People who were waiting out the storm kind of come back in and begin to play more speculative games. There are more speculative games to play. People inevitably are going to make some money from that. When they make some money from that, it ends up cycling first into super speculative assets uh, like PFPs, or at least it was PFPs in the last kind of bull run meta. Um, And then it kind of trickles down to art thereafter once people want to solidify the cultural capital that they had earned in the first place with something that's a little bit less um, volatile in terms of price action, or which is going to lead them to have a bit more of a solidified kind of like cultural standing. You mentioned like Gordon Goner is a great example of this, who seems to be on the front end of that having, it's almost like a a microcosm of the thing, right? Made a bunch of money through a speculative asset, now is turning to PFPs so as to maybe increase cultural relevance and increase, like maximize gains or at least play like a high risk, high leverage game. And then hopefully that spirals back down into art once somebody in his shoes or in with his kind of sensibility wants to solidify that cultural capital and be seen not just as a wealthy person, but as a wealthy, tasteful person. Do you think that's a realistic expectation for a coming bull market? Or is it simply like each one of them is going to have its own kind of unique, I don't know, spin, unique, um, like, So, yeah, I'm going to say like massive changing of the guards away from the, the pioneers and the hardline philosophy that got Bitcoin to this point. Right. These people have, you know, the, the real maximalists have been in it for 10 years. They've changed completely. This is moving institutional, right? Binance settled. 
The U.S. is going to have control over this. This is no longer going to be the wild, wild west. Um, and part of that is a psychological shift in loss of identity formation for these founders, mm -hmm. right? So I'm curious if they will seek to reinforce that through these digital artifacts that have been minted to these various chains uh, and have some sort of, you know, peripheral association through identity. Um, but for me, just as there was so much freedom in this initial period of crypto art, I don't think that can ever be recreated, right? If you weren't there, you will not be able to describe to somebody what it was like, just as, you know, the Bitcoiners cannot describe to somebody entering now what it was like back then and what it meant from a philosophical standpoint, hmm. right? So the market is moving everything to the middle. People are changing, you know, money is just a, a means. All of these value things that we're creating it's it should eventually you know come back to the person i don't think most people just want to hoard capital right they're looking for meaning they're looking for experiences they're looking for identity and that of course is why crypto art is so powerful and why so much of it is priceless um but at the end of the day it's it's abundant so, and obviously with, you know, the emergence of AI and all of these tools and people being able to, to get up to speed so much faster around these things, it's just, there's going to be a preciousness to what came before. And, you know, that's, that's exciting for me. And I think people will want to be associated with that. I do believe Gordon Gunner bought uh, one of the 300 Nakamoto cards. It's interesting because we have at least since the last kind of bull market meta talked about art as being these things that are worthy of preservation, have historical provenance, you know, are timeless, etc. I saw something the other day about how all the kind of, I hate even using the term, but quote unquote, blue chip PFP projects from Ethereum are kind of starting to rise in price and therefore in attention. Um, the my ladies, the cool cats, the bored apes, whatever. I'm curious if you think that those assets themselves are going to be seen in some way as equal to the art in the terms of their historical importance, because I do think you can make an argument that if PFP euphoria returns, it is not cycling into, you know, the speculative projects. You know, I think it was like there were dozens of new PFP projects popping up every day at the height of the 2021 bull market. But I can see the argument that, some of these projects, maybe 10 to 15, are going to maintain some kind of historical provenance because of what they meant to the last bull market, because of their importance within that cycle. Do you think that there's a possibility that people are going to shift into these kind of older, more established PFP meta or these PFP projects and treat them with the same kind of, bestow upon them the same kind of cultural capital with which a lot of this older um, art is kind of seen as having from people within our like crypto art circle? Uh, I will just say that unlike, you know, 2017, when there was probably a, a similar explosion of call it uh, intellectual capital, right. Or novel IP kind of through this, this ICO boom. 
um, in which you know the token was the proxy, those projects there died because they had no utility. So mm-hmm. I can see some of these maintaining uh, relevance just by proxy of the fact that the image itself is the utility and the community is the utility. And that might be stronger than the coming together around the idea, just the, the visual cue of what this community is and represents is stickier than the like perception of sitting in at the time, the telegram chat and being with those people and saying, Mm. you know, dollar sign, whatever is going to the moon. So, you know, we tend to attach more meaning to symbols and symbology, visual symbols than uh, more abstract things that, that aren't, aren't grounded in that way. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, I think it's a really good reading of the thing. Yeah. I mean, I, again, like I'm, I think punks is going to be the best precedent for this because punks did emerge as somewhat straddling this line between like speculative asset and also like deep marker of like cultural participation. I wonder if there is at some point in the next year, two years, a kind of mad dash for crypto related assets the way there was in 2021, any kind of NFT assets, if that kind of crypto punk ideology or not ideology in an underlying sense, but more just like you own this thing as both a speculative asset and as a representation of your own lengthy participation within crypto art culture, if that will expand outwards to these other PFP projects. And we're going to have to treat them at a certain point, not with the incredulousness with which I think we have, because we've been pretty, I think, staunch critics of the, you know, seals and penguins and doodles and things that have made choices about how to survive in a bear market. And if we'll have to come to see them as having a similar kind of prolonged cultural capital in the sense that crypto um, crypto punks do see and and that's the problem right with those projects is that they have to make it through and they have to have some perceived identity right crypto punks speaks to its own identity i don't i couldn't tell you what the identity of a pudgy penguin is or what the identity of a doodle is and what those communities actually stand for. And, you know, unless you like the art, then then what does it mean? I don't know. So, you know, CryptoPunks, they're, they're timeless in that way. The next big question is, is can we, you know, in, in 2020 to 2021, we 10X'd the NFT space from 17 to 18 and mm-hmm. all through those years. Right. So there was demand historically to go back and see what was happening at that time. And some projects, you know, got randomly lifted and dropped. Maybe a good example of that would be kind of like curio cards. I feel like they had a moment where they sold the full set and then it was kind of just like whatever. Although there are some brilliant curio cards that are very crypto art specific that I think are, are interesting and valuable. You know, surprisingly, there hasn't, I, this it really shocks me that there hasn't been more of a rush to kind of the, the rare Pepe assets. 
Do you think it's a product of just them being on Bitcoin and that technology being slightly less accessible? Um, yeah, I'm just I mean, less people are going to have a Bitcoin wallet than an Ethereum wallet. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true. It's just maybe people are, you know, it's complicated for sure. Getting getting into Counterparty, getting Pepe Cash is is certainly different. Although Emblem Vault made it so much easier that these things basically just trade on OpenSea as if they were ETH. So I don't I don't know. Yeah, that's fair. Maybe it's a perception thing. And maybe that's why we see like the continued, I don't know, success of like the Vincent Bando Pepe things and the Jack Butcher Opepens because it's like it's the same iconography, but it's obviously doesn't have the historical provenance, but it's at least touching on that same kind of Pepe based iconography. Yeah, and it's so I don't know, it feels so diluted. But if we can 10x the space again in say 2025 to 2026 then suddenly everything does become much more scarce and in demand. And, mm-hmm. and frankly, if we 10x the space again, there's really not going to be much block space left for any of these things. In a good way or in a bad way? I, you know, I don't know. I, I am kind of excited by the fact that this could just be a moment in time and that it could be bookmarked and that, you know, maybe digital art will always trade this way, but mm. this moment of like real raw crypto art has an expiration date. An, an interesting thing to think about. But it probably doesn't because I just am tired. <laughs> well, um, it was Hidden Forces who talked to me about crypto art as being more a like cultural movement that involves more than just like things in the blockchain. It's more about like a kind of explosion of internet culture in the first place than it is like this niche art movement. But um, that's a larger discussion. Maybe we can get into it some other time. I do want to move on to another current event, though, if you have any last thoughts on this one. Cool. So last week, it's a fucking mouthful, but Observer released their, quote, Digital Innovators Business of Art Power List, which is an absolutely ridiculous name for a list on its face. Uh, It included 10 people uh, with names as familiar to us as Rafik Anadol and Snowfro and Dimitri Cherniak, Cosmo de Medici and Tyler Hobbs. What seemed to draw people's attention was not the fact that these individuals were on the list. It was that of the 10 people on this list, only one was a woman, and that would be Vera Molnar, the Hungarian artist who's been doing digital art since the 60s and is like a pioneer of digital art. She's 99 years old. Um, So putting her on like a business of art power list seems a little bit not just anachronistic, but also kind of like... I don't know, reductive of somebody who is not just been instrumental in like, I don't know, the business of art, but like, I think, you know, when um, I spoke to Ann Spalter months ago, like Vera Molnar is the the queen bee. This is like one of the most important figures in probably art in general over the last 70 years. And it seems reductive to put her on a list with someone like, you know, a, a Tyler Hobbs or even a Snowfro or a Rafik Anadol who are, you know, incredible innovators and thinkers, but they've only been doing this for, you know, 10, 15 years. Art blocks is only a couple years old. Um, and obviously it just drew a lot of people's ire that once again, we had some kind of institutional perspective on digital art in general, that was so male heavy. And to me, it's just, I can't understand the lack of self-analysis and self-reflection that 
goes into the creation of these lists and it's just kind of disgusts me that we're still like playing within the confines of this very clear like boys club when those of us on the ground know that that could not be further from the truth so i'm curious did you see this and do you have an opinion on it i mean i i did see it and i couldn't have glossed over it more quickly <laughs> uh, you know it should be noted that the the observer originally was founded as the new york observer and i think uh it read to me like somebody sat down with their one friend in nfts in new york and said like who are the people that you like yeah. It felt like the most thoroughly unresearched, unsubstantive, uninteresting piece of clickbait that it could have possibly been produced. I had never heard of The Observer before. I, I couldn't care less about what The Observer thinks about us because I don't think The Observer has any idea what they're talking about. Well, this goes into something that I've been talking about with you and with Clay Devlin in the last couple of podcasts, but it's this like the perspectives we are getting onto crypto art from people who are not situated within crypto art. And even with these artists like Tyler Hobbs, who is kind of reduced in this article to being the creator of Fidenzas and um, Rafiq Anadol for being the creator of Unsupervised. And it's like reducing any of these artists to just like one project they did or one drop they had is ridiculous on its face because they're all like multifaceted multimedia artists and collectors and contributors to crypto art or just art in general. Um, and giving them a blurb seems reductive on its face, but it's more just this, like, it's so interesting to me to see crypto art merged crypto art, which is still so niche merged with like the Buzzfeed esque clickbait styling that, is I, I feel like is dying in a lot of respects, but also is like characterizes so much quote unquote news for people outside of this world and then changes or at least has some kind of effect on how they're going to perceive crypto art. Like I would not call Vera Molnar like a, a crypto artist. <laughs> like well, no also shade like, to her. Read read the title. I wouldn't uh necessarily like call her a a power broker of this world you know she is a she's like a power unto herself but what was the title what was the title the whole thing made no sense so, so and the reason i think that you can make a, a complaint with what i was saying because this article is not about crypto art specifically but it's called the digital innovators reshaping the art world and the first sentence is what constitutes mainstream art is changing before our eyes thanks to art world pioneers creating collecting sharing and selling a growing body of works that exists on the blockchain so right away there is something like within this it is blockchain specific. Uh, I don't believe crypto art is used a single time in this article, which is strange to talk about blockchain based artistry and not actually use the verbiage crypto art. Um, but again, like Vera Molnar is a solar system. Um, this is not a person who is ingrained within the space and is interacting with it every day as some of these other artists and collectors and innovators and builders. Or are. also like as some of these people on this list aren't yeah sure i mean you said the other day you're like i think i don't think rafiq anadol would call himself a crypto artist so it's just this like odd dichotomy between like noticing there's something going on here but being reticent or maybe not even reticent maybe it's more um hostile than that like um 
this is an erasure of the terminology we use and the individuals who are here and also what it means to be like a crypto art innovator is it just creating a project that is novel and new is it creating a project that is like gaining mainstream attention like what what does that mean and but also like i i still think we're like missing the point here which is that another list has been created another olive not olive branch from us but another like connective tissue has been established between a mainstream part of the world and the niche crypto art community which through no fault of our own within this space is pointing to crypto art as another kind of extension of this super male um like art world continuum which i think within crypto art we are constantly discussing and raging against but of course that gets no play here it's just like tacitly communicated that yes like all other art movements what's happening on the blockchain is super like male and super um finance based what it, it will just it will never be understood it's never understood to so the people writing about it are you are it's like you max it's you it's alex right it's yeah, uh, shout out alex asterisk yeah it's it's the people that are in the trenches with the people that are actually doing it so what is it is it just sexier when like obviously people are going to look like i'm, I'm going to take the writers of this observer article who are um dan duray farah abdesamad and quote the editors we I, I don't even want to like give any more time to it it's so dumb it's so dumb love love a lot of these people on this list you're doing great work there's a lot of people doing great work we need to move beyond the idea that this is about individual accomplishment and celebrating the individual when this is really about the collective and the power of of coming together because it's you know a one person a blockchain does not make right it is literally a blockchain it is all these people doing all of this work and energy together yeah i wonder if there's a way for like obviously this clickbaity style of i'm reticent to even call it news but it still maintains a uh a cultural relevance that is deeply frustrating and i see it every time that you know nft now releases their like nft 100 list and while it's nice that like mocha gets mentioned and things like that like it's again it's just reducing this grand incredible tapestry to like a couple of figures who i don't know why are they important why is any of this important i i, I find myself so struck so consistently by wondering if the artists who maintain cultural relevance today and who seem to have been maintaining cultural relevance since like 2021 or even earlier if like 10 years from now they will just be a footnote in crypto art story and if like we even started writing that story and if the like real innovators of the space are like even yet to appear um if you have to think that like crypto art is going to have this like really long shelf life of being a term that's in vogue then you know that at, with a lifespan that lasts 10 to 15 years and we're in the first third of it. Like maybe there will be innovators who are here who are mentioned, but um, yeah, I don't know. This just solidification of a ruling class just always rubs me the wrong way. And I'm not sure that that's necessarily like, I, I just think that's the tacit communication of any article like this. Um, but maybe we're trying to draw blood from the stone now and we've uh, crushed this thing as much as we can. Right. I, yeah. 
it's making me mad the longer yeah, it makes me mad too um let's move to one more current event that's a little bit more frivolous um so robness went to ebay and put for sale like an actual jpeg um was selling it for 200 dollars, i believe it's called the multiple manifestations of a young christ number 04 gif 2000 by 2000 162 megabytes and there's a note on this ebay posting this is not an nft you're just buying a jpeg and nothing else no record of this is on the blockchain only ebay uh robness also announced that he's not going to mint anything for the next calendar year in 2024 and just use these like old archaic sites I'm not sure how much there is to say about this other than I think it's silly and frivolous. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, Silly and frivolous in a positive way um, to like really challenge this established idea of like what you're buying as a JPEG by selling an actual JPEG with no like, again, and then delivering it in the messages. Come on. It's so funny. Yeah. It is funny. funny. And then, and then upgrading and saying you're only, it's just so good. I just, I wanted to mention that. I don't know if you have any more expansive thoughts on it. I'm not sure I do, but I just think it's like worthy of a mention as just another like crypto art fucking around. Uh, I don't think there has been a more interesting thing to watch than the way Robness has moved through the years, both good and bad. Uh And if that isn't the true heart of an artist and a creative i don't know what is <laughs> it's funny it's lighthearted. it's deeply serious it plays so well with what we're doing um trying to do getting people to think uh and as you said it's not a, gonna be about those people that shines so brightly in that moment Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be about those people that really burned long. <laughs> I hope he really does spend a year just selling his art in the strangest places. Yeah, it's uh, an interesting experiment to uh, watch play out in real time. I mean, I would love to see just, you know, just this is random, but in the same way that, you know, Banksy pulled up shop in Central Park and was selling prints and nobody was touching him. Would love to see Robness just head over to Venice Beach with some thumb drives and and try and sell, you know, <laughs> JPEGs on a on a thumb drive through a table. I think that would be, uh, I think that would be amazing. That would be funny. I don't know even sure what you would say on the sign JPEGs twenty dollars. Uh, yeah, something like that. Probably lose money on the uh, on the thumb drives. <laughs> um, okay, last thing I just want to touch on real quick. We had mentioned it before we uh, started recording, but I just want your opinion on the paradigm of the traditional art world, which you mentioned is not being super interested in as a like crypto native crypto art enthusiast, as pulling crypto art towards it as opposed to the other way around. Like, why is crypto art not trying to pull these? I don't know, traditional art institutions, collectors, enthusiasts, list makers into our milieu um, using our rules. Why is it so, why are so many people so desperate to go play on somebody else's court? I I mean, that's, that's a really, really loaded question. Obviously we're talking about our Basel right now, increasingly people feeling the need to be there, to be present, to present digital art alongside 
um, these physical works, so much of that is really just the party and the show. No shade to the party or the show. No shade to the party or the show. I'm not going. And, you know, I am really conflicted about kind of the party and the show and, and what that means. And Okay, so maybe shade to the party and the show. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. You know, there's there's, of course... So much of art is built on social signaling and so much of art is built on the demonstration of, of wealth and class and power and privilege. Um, and, you know, this at the same time as it was and it wasn't about this and, you know, there's people that advocate for the artists and there's people that, you know, want to be patrons and I guess it needs everything. The, the fact of the matter is, is, you know, we, we, I, I'm, I personally get really sick of saying that incremental change is enough uh, when we could be making exponential change. I think crypto is all about making exponential change and delivering connected systems. I, I don't, you know, I don't want everybody to kind of be kowtowing to what is perceived as a larger power when we have everything inside of us to be exactly what we need. And, you know, it is always a bit of human folly to go searching grasses greener effect, perhaps to go looking for new pastures, new fields, something else. And, you know, that is amplified with the way social media networks operate and these new feelings of FOMO and yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll leave with a final thought on this, which is it's really easy to conceptualize what it looks like when somebody who exists in crypto art pushes out into the mainstream and what kind of opportunities will exist there and what kind of success might be possible for them in a more traditional sphere. Obviously, we know how to conceptualize that because the traditional sphere is something that we've all grown with and observed throughout our lives. And it's crypto art that's new and kind of hard to conceptualize and so bringing the mainstream to us and forcing it to change itself for our sake or in the ways like in into the um circulatory system that we've passed or that we've created here that's a lot harder to actually picture in one's head and i think that that is scary for a lot of people because it's hard yeah. to know what that looks like thus it's hard to know in what directions to move it's hard to know uh, what invites to extend and what even success would look like in that sphere. I don't have an answer to that personally. Right. Everybody gets to decide who they want to be and they get to be their own kind of character in the arc of what they want to see and experience and, and understanding what they have seen and experienced. I feel like a lot of these things become distractions instead of, they can be for sure celebrations, um, but I found that a lot of those celebrations ultimately distract the individual from determining who they want to be, unless that is the person that they want to be, uh, which, you know, it's not the person that I really want to be. So, you know, I've, I've sat in enough traffic and which is <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I'd love to see and go to all the parties and all the friends is fun. feels good. Nice. It's exhausting you know, end of the year, sure. I, I don't know. We, we haven't, we're not there. We didn't build the thing. 
and I don't feel, you know, this is not really like a celebratory year for me. So I think we already like announced our arrival. People get to kind of carry these things through. I don't really feel like that is where we wanted to arrive anyways. Uh, you know, my yeah. destination is not there, but maybe some people's desire and destination is there. Well, we spoke about this after Thanksgiving, but it's like just being exposed to the mainstream is no longer a win. Having a Cool Cats balloon in the Thanksgiving Day Parade is no longer a win because it's not just about exposure to the mainstream. It's about what that exposure means, what kind of exposure it is, what it's implying, and what kinds of eyes are being brought to who and where and why. You know, and this is so interesting to me because I, I had this in drafts and I didn't hit sends and I'm, and maybe I can pull it up to just remind myself of what, it, of what it was, but so many wild and fucking crazy things have happened this year. Like, you know, they, they found aliens and people are <laughs> at war and then people are online, like arguing about their NFT bags yeah well it's less you know, and i i don't even see it here anymore but i had like this whole list of all this crazy shit that happened this year and and people are online arguing about their nft bags and i'm like this is so interesting literally some things will never change yeah yeah you know, the dialogue online is like really tired. And that's when, once the philosophy is lost and I don't see anybody really working to advance it, and it's just a market. And, and that is, it's just a market for the sake of it being a market to do these things and everybody's treating it that way. And I don't really see much real new, interesting innovation. I don't care. Where I like this al- yeah, sorry. Yeah. I was just, I like this alien idea. Cause now I'm thinking like if aliens did land here, right. And let, like, let's say like, aliens landed and they got invited to this or that consulate and then that process of like hammering out some kind of resolution took four days are you going to be glued to cnn throughout those four days or are you going to be checking <laughs> open sea? yeah people are going to be like yelling about pepe and shit you know yeah. it's or like yeah. which would nfts would the aliens buy i'm just thinking that yeah yeah <laughs> maybe it would I'm, be pepe maybe they're, if they're little green men maybe they'll find some kind of like representation of themselves in Pepe's. Um, so this is your King's alpha of the day. Um, if we are visited by little green men, invest in rare Pepe's. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, and also, right. also shout yeah. out Mocha token up 50% today. Yeah. You should buy some Mocha token. Uh, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that. Just tweeted out which NFTs are the aliens by though. Nobody's quicker on the trigger than, uh, Colburn Bell, the fastest gun in the West. We're doing it. We're doing it live. All right. Anything else to say, Colborn? No, man. Thank you. This was a good one. Yeah, this was fun. Um, thank you all for being here with us. This has been another episode of the Current Events Podcast. If you like today's episode or anything else we do, please give us a uh, like, follow, subscribe, whatever the button says on your podcast listening app of choice. This podcast is available for collection on Zora. We would appreciate if you would go to Zora.co and check out the Mocha Live collection and maybe give us a free, uh, maybe collect, yeah, collect this or any of our other podcasts for free. Uh, please give us a follow on Substack at museumofcrypto.substack.com and continue to be good to your friends and neighbors. Uh, this has been Current Events with Max and Colborn. I'm Max, that's Colborn, and we will see you all real soon. Take care, everyone. See you.
This has been another episode of Current Events with Max and Coborn. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Coborn, as always, for being my co-host. Our intro music was composed by Julian Brangold, so a big thank you to him. And once again, thank you to all of you for being with us. We'll be back soon with another episode of Current Events. So long.